from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States. This is program number 31 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see towering mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life. To people like me, who are totally blind. To sighted parents with blind children. Blind parents with sighted children. And blind parents with blind children. And people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, what to do if you're blind in an active shooter situation. A follow-up on our responsibilities during a natural disaster like a hurricane or forest fire. How to ride a bicycle with only a 10% field of vision. And blind race car driver Dan Parker has met the Blind Drivers Challenge and his newest challenge. Because of all the active shooter situations that have happened recently, we're rerunning a story that we did on the Tactile Traveler number 18 with Valerie Shilmila from the Helen Keller Foundation. The Helen Keller Foundation helps people who are deaf and deafblind. Filling in the news lately are stories on people shooting up a group of people and killing as many people as possible. Your chances of becoming one of those people are very, very small. But you can do things to help yourself, even if you're blind or deafblind. Valerie Chanella is a vocational rehabilitation counselor, case manager at the Helen Keller Foundation's Center for Youth and Adults, in Sands Point, Long Island, New York. She also has been teaching blind people and deafblind people what to do in emergencies, including active shooter situations, for 17 years. I'd like them to remember that you have a lot more ability than you think you do to save your own life. Know the exits if you can, if you're familiar with an area. Don't be afraid to look foolish by saying, help me or to, to, to appear like you can't do things independently. In this situation, if we don't help each other, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. You know, leave the, the 911 phone open. In other words, dial 911, but turn off your ringer. It's really important you turn that ringer off so no, you can't be found as easily. Waiting around for somebody to save you has not worked for, for many people who've tried it. It does not work. You have to be active in your own defense. Valerie says have a plan. 
for places you go to regularly, like work, school, and the grocery store. You know, just make sure that you, you are planning for not just an active shooter, but all the other eventualities that can happen in life, so that you're prepared. Because really, when it comes right down to it, you are the best defense you have against anything happening to you. I give a course with my students that's called Everybody Here Gets Out Alive. Because waiting around for somebody to save you has not worked for, for many people who've tried it. It does not work. You have to be active in your own defense. There really isn't anything specific that is to, um, to active shooter in this situation. It's just a more difficult situation if you're deafblind. If you're going with an SSP or another person to someplace, like a mall or something, have this discussion with them beforehand. What are we going to do if something happens in this mall? How are we going to get out? What are we going to, you know, how's this going to work? Make it, make a plan. If it's a family member, absolutely have a plan. In the King Supermarket in Colorado, in Columbine, these were all people who knew each other. They were all people who had relationships, but no one ever talked about this. And that's what the problem is, is no one ever talks about it. In an active shooter situation, you do have to remember that the same properties exist for deaf-blind individuals as they do for hearing and sighted, and that is that you, you will need to do three things. Run, and generally for my students, I tell them to run in the direction that everyone else is running. If everyone's running to your left, run that way, and yell out. Don't, have, don't be shy about saying out loud, not necessarily yelling, but saying out loud, I need help, I'm blind. And if somebody stops to help you, grab their elbow and keep going. Um, you can talk and ask questions later and say, oh, what's going on? What did we see? Once you're outside, it's fine to ask those questions. When you're in the building, just go. Get out. Valerie says, don't just run. Remember that when you are running, if there's somebody actively shooting nearby, you don't want to run in a particularly straight line. Try to run a little zigzag, a little to the left, a little to the right. It's much harder to hit a target that is moving that way than someone who's riding, running in a straight line. When you finally get out of the building... But the police are at a heightened state of, of impact when they arrive at a scene like this. They're going to be running into the building you're running out of. Keep your hands up and your fingers spread. They don't know who the shooter is. They don't know who you are. Don't grab onto a police officer and tell them your story. That is, this is not the time. Get out, hands up, fingers spread, walk away as far away as you can get. They're going in to get the shooter. That's their job. It's not successful in being able to run out of the building and get away. The next thing you want to do is hide. Hiding entails that you get down as fast as possible. If you don't think this is a way out, get down behind something big and sturdy as quickly as you can. Lie flat to the ground if you have to to try to make sure you're the smallest possible target. And if you have to stay in a particular location, don't move around a lot. Maybe even play dead a little bit. This way, maybe they won't notice you as much. A little tip, if you're in a mall, remember that the mall entrance side where you are is not the only entrance and exit into those stores. Most of the stores will have a back room exit it also is used to bring in merchandise. So if you have to run into the store, run into the back area of the store, and maybe you can get out that way. Supermarkets usually have similar layouts, with offices, storerooms, loading docks, 
and additional exits in the back. If you can't get away, fight back. But it's really, really important that you remember if you are in a situation where you're close enough to an active shooter, that you know that you are going to get hurt, there is nothing wrong with you hurting them first. If you have a cane, it makes a marvelous baseball bat. Really swinging a cane and hitting somebody in the head, face, or neck is going to debilitate them. So swinging a cane very hard can be, really be a, a bat. Um, don't be afraid to throw something, something heavy. Use a fire extinguisher. Hit somebody with a board, a stick. Whatever it is to disarm them and get them away from you is probably going to be one of the best ways you can stay alive. Remember, a person who goes into a place with the idea that they're going to kill people that they don't know for no apparent reason is probably not intending to come out alive. And they're not intending for you to come out alive either. Their end game is to hurt and maim and kill as many people as they can. So even though we as wonderful human beings don't want to hurt anybody, in this situation, you have to put that aside and remember that you're saving your own life. If you use a folding white cane, Valerie says folding white canes have additional self-defense uses. All you have to do is fold your cane up as small as it would go and swing it like a baseball bat. Keeping your face turned away, swinging it at the 90% of the time, it will break a window. And then you use the tip of the cane, and it's particularly good if you have a marshmallow tip, to basically poke out as much glass as possible. Folded white canes can also be used as a weapon to stab people and poke out their eyes. Well, there is one more thing, and this is kind of a terrible thing. If you're with somebody who gets seriously injured during an active shooter situation, leave them. You're not going to be able to save them in that moment. Wait for emergency workers to come and get them. If you stay there, the likelihood of you getting shot goes up twofold. So it's a terrible thing to say. I'm not saying, you know, you don't want to love the people you're with. But if they're seriously hurt, you have to kind of leave them until somebody tells somebody where they are, but get out of there. You're going to be the only one that's going to know where they are be able to tell people what what happened and you need to get out of there so you can get to alert somebody else to come in. These guidelines can be applied to any emergencies in public buildings, from fires near the entrance where you came in to accidentally being locked in a building. We have some follow-up information on Program 30 on our responsibilities during a natural disaster like a hurricane or forest fire. One of the things covered during the story is frequently when people are evacuated during a disaster, they don't have enough money to return home. The Red Cross and the Salvation Army may be able to help you if you find yourself in that situation. I would say yes. I would say, but there's also so many ways to go about doing that. 211. Very often in a disaster set, they have uh, free vehicle rideshare programs that they can initiate. Sometimes the Salvation Army, because we are a social services organization and we have this uh, greater scope of awareness and some of other social service programs in our communities, we might refer 
So sometimes we will provide assistance, like direct financial assistance to do that, and sometimes we might make referrals with partners. Ian Anderson is Director of Emergency Disaster Services of the Salvation Army Intermountain Division. Rahima Shoab Yazdani is the Regional Development Communications Manager of the Red Cross Los Angeles Division. I'm sure that when there's a need that, um, you know, we, we help meet, meet that need, whether it's by providing it ourselves or finding someone who'll be able to provide that service because we want to make sure that those who do come to us for help are served. Some agencies provide services many of us aren't aware of. So the Salvation Army, uh, we are one of, if not the largest, kind of social services organization in the world. Um, so with that comes a lot of strengths. Um, we, within our disaster work, we are primarily known for our feeding assistance. So where, you know, our partners, the American Red Cross, provide uh, sheltering assistance, we are very often looked at as the primary partner for feeding assistance. Um, so we provide feeding assistance very often for survivors, um, first responders, um, and generally anyone who might need it, who might have been impacted as a result of a local or, or large-scale disaster. Ian says the Salvation Army may provide food assistance for people who never left their homes but still need food. Often when these wildfires come through communities, uh, the power companies, rightfully so, will cut off power to those neighborhoods, um, resulting in people um, people's food, all of their fresh produce that was in their refrigerator and freezer um, hitting dangerous temperatures and expiring. And especially today with food prices continuing to get higher and higher, um, sometimes we will provide vouchers uh, for a local grocery store or a Walmart or kind of place business like that where they can go access um, new um, groceries. What the Salvation Army can't do frequently, the Red Cross can. We provide shelter, a safe place for you to go, to shower to get clean for you to have resources like food, anything you might need immediately that you weren't able to leave with. So I was recently deployed to New Mexico where there were a series of wildfires. Uh, I'm very used to fires, but these were unlike you know anything I'd seen. So I visited a series of shelters and folks there had to leave homes wherever they were without you know, clothes, without proper medication. There was one lady who was diabetic and needed insulin and we were able to help her with that. Those services are provided by the Red Cross and whenever we can't provide a service, we're always able, our teams are always able to connect you with someone who is. Rahima says everyone should have an emergency go bag, which a Red Cross app will help you create. You can visit the App Store and just type in Red Cross and all of our apps will come up. And I, I recommend downloading all of them, of course, but uh, definitely start with the emergency app. Disasters don't discriminate. Disasters can impact any one of us at any time. So we always have to have kind of a personal or family plan on what we're going to do. We need to plan for disruptions, what we're, how we're going to communicate with our families. Think about all those headaches that you're going to deal with 
um, not for just those first couple of days, but where are those headaches going to be a week from now or two weeks from now if you're if you've, if you've had to relocate because of a disaster? And then I would encourage you to look into the many relief organizations that provide support during a disaster to make sure that we're providing the best amount uh, or the most amount of support that we possibly can to people who are impacted on the worst day of their lives. Jeff Blacken has Usher syndrome, a genetic condition that has caused him to be totally deaf without his cochlear implants and has caused him to lose almost all of his vision. So I've had hearing aids my whole life, and now I currently have two cochlear implants. And then night blindness and vision issues in your late teens, young adult years. So night blindness and then loss of peripheral vision. I'm currently 36 years old. I got diagnosed when I was 24. A lot of things made sense looking back, at, you know, like some car wrecks I had at night. And it's like, oh, because I was night blind. I lose my peripheral vision over time, and I'm currently at 10 degrees field of vision. After Jeff gave up his driver's license, he found that he was dependent on his wife for everything. So how I got into it, I mean, when I had a surrender my driver's license, you know, I felt real bad. I mean, my wife was having to do everything now. The grocery shopping, take me to work, take me up at work, got a couple kids. I had realized where I lived, there was a bike path nearby. Going through a couple neighborhoods, I could get to Kroger. Now, this was back when I had about 40 degrees field of vision. So I, I started riding my bike to Kroger just to grocery shop, you know, to help my wife out. And this was after I had to kind of give it plain basketball was my big big like outlet i love playing basketball but it just got too difficult to follow the ball off the rim and so i, I couldn't play basketball anymore so as i started riding my bike realizing it's like hey this is good physical activity i'm kind of enjoying this and i want to see if, if i can if this is a sport i can do jeff not only found that he could ride a bicycle he joined a group doing trips across huge sections of america when i rode across country i rode with an organization called fuller center for housing and so they're a, they're an organization that um, has partnerships throughout the country where they are working to end poverty housing, and so they they uh, provide the housing to low income families and have this whole plan. And so this organization has these bike rides cross country. It's a fundraiser, but also they have several different days where you are building and working on homes. Currently, this trip that I'm on that I just started today. Uh, is with the same organization, and they call it the Underground Railroad. So they're following a route to some of the historic um, sites along the Underground Railroad. And that's starting in Slidell, Louisiana. It's going to end in the Great Lakes in Cleveland, Ohio. But I joined them in Clarksdale, Mississippi. I joined in the middle of the trip. And so I'm going to be riding uh, until Cincinnati. Jeff figured out how to survive on back roads. But on these long trips, he had to go through cities. And so basically, I could ride on my own, but if I came up to a town, then usually I would kind of stop and wait for the next person and, and whoever would come up behind me, then I would follow them, you know, stay a few feet back and just kind of follow their moves and they take me through the town. So, so, um, doing big rides like that, um, I, I have found two ways to adapt. I mean, back home, I just stay away from our town. I just stay on the back country roads and, um, you know, it's a little traffic. And so I'm currently now at 10 degrees field of vision. And uh, I have noticed, um, you know, it's tough because, like, yeah, I can hear a dog coming up barking, but I, I don't see where they are. <laughs> and so I just, I was like, I'll just pedal like crazy and just get away. Jeff lives in Shelbyville, Kentucky, where he's a social studies teacher. He takes his long bike trips during summer vacation. His Usher syndrome is progressing to the point where he knows 
Riding a bike on his own days are probably limited, but he also knows that doesn't mean that his cycling days are also limited. You know, especially if you are someone that's dealing with vision loss, um, to find ways to adapt. I think that's kind of been a journey I'm on, just constantly adapting to where I can still find some fulfillment and uh, some independence and some freedom, but also things that I enjoy. And uh, even as I continue to lose my peripheral and thinking when that time's going to come where I might not be able to bike independently, I'm still thinking about what's the next adaptation I can make. Laura Benj helped with this story. A Guinness Book of World Records was broken in Tooth or Consequences, New Mexico, on March 31st. The technology developed to break it is helping make it possible for people all over the world to drive self-driving vehicles and give us, as blind drivers, the independence to go wherever we want, whenever we want. The record of 200.51 miles per hour was held by the world's fastest blindfolded driver, was broken by blind race car driver Dan Parker. Uh, the fastest I went was 212 miles per hour. So I went 205 on a test run. We brought it in, made a few adjustments, and um, put a fresh nitrous ball in it. Went, went 210 on my first run and then 212 on my return run. So that gave me a 2.8 average of a 211.043 miles per hour is my official guess. Dan broke the record by driving his 800-horsepower Corvette down a one-way using technology developed for him. It guides him in a straight line by telling him through his earbuds when he needs to go left or right about every half second. Dan lost his vision during a crash at about 175 miles an hour about 10 years ago, but he had gone over 220 miles per hour before the crash. Dan not only broke the blindfolded speed record, he rebuilt the car from a trash car he found in a junkyard and designed the modifications he needed. That includes souping it up to 800 horsepower and putting three mufflers on it so it's very quiet, so he can hear the computerized driving directions. The salvage plug victim, 2008 Corvette that had no motor, no interior, and she was an ugly duckling to say the least. It was a rough shape. Now that Dan's met the blind driver's challenge, he has a new challenge using some of the same technology to break that world speed record. My next project is going to be a complete reverse. I'm going from 200 miles an hour to 10 miles an hour. Um, I want to work on a semi-autonomous bicycle that will allow blind people to exercise, get out of the house, and possibly down the road transportation. Dan was sponsored by Cruise the self-driving car company owned by General Motors for the Blind Driver's Challenge. So far, he doesn't have a sponsor for his three-wheel bike project. Right now, I'm hoping that we can attract companies like Cruise to come on board and support us. We've talked about this in the past, but we're sort of letting the dust settle right now for everything for the Guinness World Record. But I'm committed 
to this project, I hope within a year, I'll have something working. But Patrick, the engineer that builds the guidance system for the Corvette, he's on board, he's committed. So we have to find the funding to build a bio, you know, the computer hardware, software, and the sensors. But, you know, we're going to try to make this happen the best we can. Dan, who became really depressed after losing his sight, says he learned a lot more than just how to drive fast, while blind is a result of the Blind Driver's Challenge. You know, one thing I want everybody to take away from this is we all have dreams and goals. Surround yourself with the supporters and to know that when you take quitting off the table, it's amazing what you can accomplish. You know, it might, this year, my, this project, it's been going on almost five years. This has not been easy. Nothing was, I'm not rich. You know, I didn't just write a blank check to an engineering firm and say, develop me this guidance system, build me a race car. When it's all said and done, give me a call. That, that was the complete opposite of this project. You know, we built most of this car in my house. Friend Patrick Johnson developed the guidance system. We can achieve great things. We just have to go at it, go at it a little different way, but anything is possible. That's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that helped make today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support. Apple Accessibility Tech Support. Leslie Steffens, Patrick Canero, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Kaylee Romero, and Wally Burley. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.